I actually had to clear my throat. I don't know if everyone else did. I did too. Okay, good. All, so did I. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's. It's June 30th, 2016. This is Idle Thumbs 269. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Nick Brecken. And I'm Jake Rodkin. And we're here in our slightly more completed studio that we mentioned yeah, last week. Like I, bet it actually, I bet it actually sounds worse than last week because we took all of the unused foam out of this room. So, yeah. But whatever. We're getting there. You know what? We should actually make use of the Thumbs blog for the first time in forever and put up some progress shots of this office as we, uh, yep. as yep. we build it. As we put it together, yeah. At blog.idlethumbs.net. Oh Your man, you want to answer? You want to do? We, we should start like a, an Instagram now that we're like three years behind that. Uh, <laughs> you know, just, it, to, just to keep up with being behind yeah. in terms of. We can put yeah. those on Twitter too, which we actually use. Right, that's true. Yeah. And our Facebook page, which we also basically use. <laughs> Never mind. Forget that blog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one cares about that blog. <sighs> anyway, hey guys. Hey, you ready to talk about some video games? I am. Um, I heard yeah. you guys played. So have you guys heard about the, the new Hitman campaign came out? I think it's in uh, <laughs> where the Hitman this week, to right? Today, yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, today yeah. It came out just today. No, you guys streamed a bunch of Marrakesh. Is that correct? Uh, yes, yeah. we did. We uh, I was going to talk about the System Shock thing. First, oh, but... fine, <laughs> fine. I wasn't. I didn't pay attention. That's fine. To the every stream, so every podcast now we start to talk about Hitman and then and then rewind, have to di- divert and then yeah and then we'll come back to it. Um, so. There's this video game that was just released called System Shock. Well, a Kickstarter was just released called System Shock Kickstarter, uh, promoting a game called System Shock. Uh, So Night Dive Studios, which is the, um, I think, Washington uh, State-based sort of publisher slash studio that has been resurrecting old games and sort of tracking down their rights and making them uh, available for purchase again is I, I, I can't exactly tell what the structure of the development studio itself is. I guess they seem to be working with like various f- um, sort of freelancers or like they're mm-hmm. spinning up maybe a small development arm to th- – th- I don't think they have a full-time game development studio. Mm-hmm. But they're spearheading a project to recreate the original System Shock uh, by Origin Systems – um, and they're they've released an actual playable like what they call I think pre alpha demo that you can get on Steam and GOG and you know wherever Humble I think and it's to promote their Kickstarter that just went live um, which I backed yesterday because they act because the demo is so like it's like a full complete. vertical slice of yeah it's of... a total it's a vertical slice of the actual beginning of the game uh, which is really funny it was weird to play because I. I hadn't really been thinking about this, but I loaded up the demo. It's free. You just go download it. And I'm in this little room and I'm like, oh, this looks this looks very familiar. And then I realized it's because the only goddamn part of System Shock I've played is that <laughs> that first room like a million times because every couple years I'm like, I'm going to just finally mm-hmm. go and play the original System Shock. And then it's just a couple degrees too like, yeah. impenetrable. broke and impenetrable. Yeah. yeah. I've played System Shock 2. Like a bunch of times, I've played it all the way through, um, but the but the, the gulf between those two games is m- massive, just in terms of like technical 
um, kind of modernity. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the original System Shock is of the era of uh, like Ultima Underworld. Basically, it's that um, really. Um, I mean, was the original uh, System Shock actually was it Origin or was it Looking Glass? I think it was. Oh man! Oh, I thought System Shock One was Looking Glass, but is it not? Uh, I said Origin, and I those two companies were so related. Um, Looking Glass was basically a sort of a spinoff of Origin, Um, but anyway, it was like one of the progenitors. It's Looking Glass, yeah, yeah. Sorry, okay. Um, One of the progenitors of the, um, of course, it was the immersive sim genre. You know, the sort of first person, um, highly like simulation driven where objects have properties and you, there are sort of stats and ways you're interacting with the world and solving problems in, in ways that aren't totally prescribed. Uh, and it's, you know, that's where System Sh- obviously System Shock itself and um, System Shock 2 and Bioshock and, and Thief and those and games. Dishonored. Yeah, Dishonored all sort of through various uh, like evolutionary uh, branches sort of descended from your Ultima Underworlds and your System Shocks. And so it's really cool to be able to play through. It's, you know, obviously when you redevelop a game, it's a lot more significant than like remastering a film. Like there's not really any, quite that same equivalent. Are they running off games, of any original code for this or is this a I full, it's a straight it feels remake? Like a complete, yeah. I mean, it's got a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a unity project and it's, you know, okay. Yeah. It's definitely just, it's, they're not secretly also emulating, uh, they're not running DOS box, uh, no, frame synced in the background. You can't hit a button and have it like wipe over with original system shot graphics. Although that would be incredible. <laughs> that would be a aesthetically wild though. It would also be impossible because one of the reasons that yeah. the original system shock is so difficult to play is because it has that ultimate underworld style sort of interface where everything is just like framed in the screen at the same time. So you're basically playing in a little window in the middle of an already very low resolution um, environment to begin with. And your, your various like UI elements are, are eating up like a third to a half of your, your total screen space. Um, Anyway, I'm going on too long about this, but it is, the point is just, it's a, it's really impressive, especially for something that is just being, kickstarted now i mean i i know everyone probably including myself is sort of hit kickstarter fatigue a while ago at this point um but this feels like oh they've they've figured out basically how to do this they just need to make more of it which is kind of where you want to be in terms of at this point i think backing a project like that Mm -hmm. so whatever i you know i put i put my money into it and we'll see how it goes but i was impressed by by the demo. Were you able to get farther in this demo than you were in the original System Shock? I think I probably was. I mean, the demo <laughs> just hard ends at a certain point. Uh, oh, there was real one really great moment, actually, that, that I wanted to specifically call out um, because it's the kind of thing that would have been, I think, would is the kind of experience that at this point is probably only possible to have had to have in the original System Shock if you already played the game when it came out and were able to sort of experience it in the like um, suspension of disbelief, uh, like immersion zone um, that would have been contemporary to its release. There's a moment in this demo where you walk into a room and some music kicks in and you are looking out the window of the space station and you see, I don't know if it's Saturn I, I, or just another ringed planet, um, but you you see this huge planet taking up like almost half of the, the the sort of porthole or you know the window, and your ship itself is rotating, and so 
the entirety of space is kind of rotating slowly and the planet is slowly leaving your view. And I just sat there for like five minutes until the music track that kicked in ended and the, the planet was almost uh, completely occluded. And it, you know, that's the kind of thing that when you play a game like this, when it first comes out, because of, because it feels so amazing visually relative to things that are out there, like you can put yourself in that zone, not just visually, but just over the whole immersive yeah. sort of mm-hmm. sensation. Um, but now when you go back and play System Shock, if you don't already have that nostalgia built in, it's kind of like before the, th- the, the technological threshold that allows you to still have that newly, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? At least in a 3d game. Right. And, uh, so it was cool having that experience and being like, oh, wow, that's actually a really breathtaking moment. That's funny. Cause that probably does let you take your mind and transport it back to, oh, I understand now how people yeah. perceived the low res version yeah, of this in totally. one. And some games hold up to that better, right? Like yeah. I, I've talked about on this podcast before how I played the original Legend of Zelda, like, you know, sometime during the time when we, when Idle Thumbs, the podcast existed, right? So sometime in the last eight years, oof, gross. Uh, and I remember when I, and I, I didn't play it when I was growing up, maybe at a, at friends houses for a couple of minutes, but, um, that was still totally able to give me the, this like sort of tingly experience of like going under the dungeon and hearing the music and being like, oh wow, this is actually really, but because it's because the graphics weren't trying to like yeah. stretch for something that they couldn't achieve. The, the weakest link in that in games, I think, is early 3D games that were yeah. not oh, embracing yeah. the fact <laughs> that they were early 3D games and were trying. Which almost none were. Yeah, no, I mean, like Interstate 76, some oh, parts oh, of Grim yeah. Fandango, like yeah. hold up, yep. I think. But, uh, Those are rare exceptions. But like, yeah, a lot of those like, the games of the you won't believe this is an actual 3D render era where then now you're looking at it now and go, yeah, we can very much believe that that's what this is. Well, and the thing, and like, you know, Ultima Underworld and System Shock were never even really those no. games to begin with. And but so they were, now like, it's it was like, a big overreach, like, or a big, they uh, were more uh, impressive because of the totality of all the systems interacting. But like, yes. I don't think visually those games were ever the most amazing thing around because Doom was a contemporary to these games. And I thought these were, these had to be at least a little bit post Doom. Are these like Doom and Duke engine style, like, uh, Faux 3D. I guess. I guess they must be. I feel like System Shock One was. Right? Yeah, man. I feel like by but two, two was they had two had a two. polygon in well, it. Two yeah, like, was in like 1999. It was yeah, full two was on like Voodoo Two, like yeah, or Post Quake. Really. Yeah, Half Life era. Doom One is another game that does actually hold up aesthetically forever because it totally the, because That's the color the color design is great. Yeah, but yeah. It, mm-hmm. and just a lot of a lot of the visual design of that game. But System good. Shock One was 1994. Okay, so yeah, yeah it was right in that. Basically, right in that zone. It was in a time when I would have never known about it. I just was not in tune with those games yeah. at that time. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was hard to be when you were below a certain age, because yeah, how, how like like the, I had Doom because everyone had Doom, right. exactly, but I yeah. like friends my age were thirteen and would pirate Doom floppy disks, but no one came to junior high and was like, "Check out this shit!" An immersive <laughs> sim. I would not have known what to do. That with word it. didn't exist even. That was no, a post. I know, that yeah. was like, like yeah. Kieran Gillen or someone <laughs> yeah. coined. Mm-hmm. Retroactively applied term. The same, yeah. Some kid brings in a bunch of like Mortal Kombat cheat codes, and then also brings in a copy of System Shock Two. Those do not, or one did not. Those did not coexist in my brain right. at the time. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Me too. Because yeah. I was a baby. Yeah. The only way I would have been exposed to that game would have been whether the box art caught my eye at like a you know. God, what was the um, egghead? Egghead. 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 Yeah, yeah, software. Yeah, if I walked through an egghead and saw a cool Electronic box, boutique. I would have maybe bought it just yeah. because the box looked cool. Yeah. But yeah, that's the only. 
Yeah, I had a I had a I had subscriptions to both for some reason. Or downloaded the demo from File Planet. <laughs> no way, File Planet. File Planet. I guess three years later. Yeah, 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 sorry, three years later. Yeah, you would have you probably you maybe if you'd pulled it off CompuServe or something. Yeah, um, I had subscriptions to both PC Gamer and Computer Gaming World somehow, mm. which I now bet. I, so you could have you know, had it on a demo. It just disc. occurred to me yeah. actually. I basically have wondered for my entire life why I had those magazine subscriptions. They were probably um, free, right? <laughs> I think they were, but it, I wonder if I I got them through like my dad's frequent flyer miles because now <laughs> I subscribe to magazines using frequent flyer miles. Mm. And I know that's a thing that has existed since the nineties. It's got to either be that or you filled out a card that yeah. came with your CD-ROM drive. Oh, I, oh, that, yeah, that's yeah. a good idea too. That could totally be the reason. <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> oh man, oh, I gotta go home and do that. CD-ROM <laughs> drives. Yeah. No, I bet you're totally right. But anyway, that would have been another place I would have theoretically learned about that, although I could have also just skipped that page because right. it looked too complicated. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, System Shock. They've got a Kickstarter. It's Night Dive Studios. And even if, whether you back it or not, there's a demo you can play for free, which is... Which it's is, up on Steam already, right? The demo Yeah, is? demo's up on Steam. I think it's also on GOG and uh, Humble. File Planet. And File, File Planet. God, what if they com. released the demo for that on File Planet? <laughs> yeah, that would have been very good. Yeah. Um, if Scary's Quake Holio links to a File Planet download for System Shock, the demo, today, I yeah. would be really happy. <laughs> it's on Shack Files. What yeah. the hell? I don't File, know what File, File Shack. File Shack. Yeah, File Shack and File yeah. Planet both hosting this demo. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Get it with your Mercury subscription. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So, so speaking of new PC games, Hitman. Yeah. Yes. I am. Nick came over on Hitman 2016. Hitman. God, I had the experience of trying to Google this game uh, for the first time. It is really, it's actually impossible. Yeah. Even if you Google Hitman 2016, not much pops up. I accidentally just wrote down Hitman 2026. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's the next episode. That would be amazing if it was revealed that Hitman 2016 is actually the title of the game referring right. to its setting and the next Hitman game yeah. is just another year in the near future. <laughs> I think tw- Hitman 2016 is actually stupidly set in 2019. Yeah. Somebody told us that, yeah. Yeah, someone on the stream told us that. I think. Yeah. Ugh. Barf. Anyway, so Nick came over on Sunday and we played Hitman 2016 colon 20, Hitman 2019. And uh, we played Escalation Missions on Marrakesh, the new newest hitman mm-hmm. sort of setting that we talked about last week and it was rad so you guys had a good time with this because i know all comments so far on this podcast about marrakesh have been a little bit cool compared to the previous uh the previous two even maybe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i know like yeah. when you dipped your toe in at least chris a couple weeks ago uh, you were like Neh. yeah it was really cool but it was probably the it's the one that's held up least in my memory just in terms of sort of overall Hitman um, level construction from this current Hitman release. Yep. Yeah. But it's still good. But I would say, at least for me, and I don't know, Nick, you can you can tell me what you think about this. Like, the my excitement over the stream we did, particularly the, f- the final Escalation mission, and, and to remind people, Escalation missions are linked series of missions, three to five missions, um, all played on the same level that start by giving you one single objective and then progressively 
adding another condition you need to fulfill. So by the fifth one, there are five things you have to be doing, whether they're like killing a person or like using a certain weapon or um, wearing a certain outfit or whatever. And some of those conditions actually include multiple like things to fulfill. So they get increasingly difficult because you're, you you have to fit into this narrower and narrower box. Um, Anyway, the thing that was so fun about it for me is, was that by the, the final one, it pushed us and and mainly you because you're the one who completed it successfully into the most like professional, unforgiving, mm-hmm. possible hitman version oh, yeah. you could imagine. Yeah, that 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 particular like level of escalation basically forced me to play in a way that I would never play. So what was the, what were the requirements in in, in oh escalation level five? Le- level five was ridiculous. Well, can, you remember, can you remember so, what they were starting from one? Yeah. So starting from one, it was, um, it was uh, already difficult, right? Right. Yeah. So starting from one, light a particular man on fire. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. But, Assassinate but, this guy via fire specifically. Right. But not an explosion. Uh, As literally learned. just light him on As fire. As we learned from a failed attempt. Right. Okay. So there was that. And then um, break. So And then like nearby, there is a safe. So uh, do you have to light the guy the on safe. fire and then also break into the safe? Is that level two or does it? Do they swap things out? No, like, is they're, it's, they're they're additive. Okay. They're additive, and you can go in any order eventually. You know, okay, once, but it is sort of like a weird thing. Hitman game of Simon, where it's like light the guy yes. on fire. Okay, mm-hmm. light the guy on fire, then break into the safe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. And yeah, it, what's interesting is that as oh, it escalates. Yeah. Yeah. As, as it's escalating, you sort of like you have your route that for maybe like the first two escalations, you go, okay, this is kind of the way that I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then at a certain point, you're just forced to change it up because it just, you realize like, oh no, there's no way. I don't right. want this guy walking into this guy. Or, no, or because ugh. one of the later requirements actually makes your route invalid because right. you kill a guy away that now you're not allowed to anymore, yep. for instance, or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. yeah, the third tier was, uh, so light the guy on fire, open the safe, and then sh- like kill, a guy, kill another guy, but kill him via a shotgun blast and oh, then yeah. and then hide him in a very particular box not any box <laughs> okay just put him in this yeah. this one box that is also nearby like six guards uh and then the fourth tier was do all of that and then oh and there's increased camera security and oh, right. if you're yes. spotted by any camera you have two minutes no matter where you are on the map you have only two minutes to destroy video evidence that can only right. be destroyed in the like video in the security room, yeah. room inside of a yeah. armed consulate, and yeah. then um, yeah, in the in the by far the most heavily guarded yeah. heavily traffic okay. area yeah. at that level. And then the fifth tier was do all of that. However, you can't disguise yourself at all. You, you are just Mr. Hitman. Or you have to hitman. be the Hitman. You're, you're just oh, Hitman. But technically, you have to never change. So whatever outfit you That's you, true, I you load the yeah. map into in, you can never change. Oh, so it you could spawn time. in in like a clown costume. If you had un- I guess if, we could have done that. Whatever you had unlocked. If you yeah. had unlocked the ability to do that, yes, we had not. So you all we had play- unlocked was Hitman suit and stylish summer suit, which is just as conspicuous <laughs> yeah. as Did you guys not Did you guys play as Hitman or as stylish <laughs> we, summer man? We, played we as were summer hitman. stylish summer man because we were drinking Arnold Palmer's. And yeah, yeah we no, no, no. Say, yeah, that's also the correct guy you want to go through this like hell. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It was yeah. absolutely brutal. I can't. So I wait, think, what is stylish summer? Is it like Hawaiian shirt? Is it like Don no, it's Draper like, it's in like Hawaii? Linen, no, or like, no, 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 no. It's like linen. Um, it's like a nice linen suit that a southern gentleman would wear. Okay, at like the Kentucky. Derby. So you were dressed as John Hammond. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Hat, yeah. And, you know. And there was a bundle of cables that we had to follow to a generator at one point, so it was very. That's it was true. fine. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was really interesting. I've I've never I haven't actually forced myself to play in that way. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and it was really nice to have that experience. There but, wasn't in the. But then also I enjoyed I think sort you of. You completed it on your second attempt. Yeah, I think attempt, so. I, I yeah, I did check the stream uh, and realize that yeah, God, we did that pretty yeah, quickly. It required because it required such diligence and confidence and care that it actually um, like made you play better. Yeah. Than had you not, even though it was harder, it was like a more inviting, not inviting, a more encouraging overall atmosphere for what you were doing. I mean, there was zero room for error at all. Mm-hmm. I think that you had no alerts the entire time. Yeah. You never triggered like Jesus. a but full. Here's, here's another thing. Um, the tier before that, there was the the uh, Hammer Time run. And what's interesting, <laughs> what's interesting about a Hammer Time run. What does that is even that, mean? Well, <laughs> So I, I started off the mission and there was just a particular checkpoint that um, has like two guards and then there's a hammer on the table and I just happened to pick the hammer up on he, that particular he just run. grabbed it like, and then, like uh, fucking Last of Us style yeah, just sort of as like, he was whoop, running by it yeah, he just like, just, like whoop, yeah, like stuck right, his hand out yeah. and grabbed it. And then, it was really funny. Yeah. And then I immediately ran smack dab into a security camera, uh, which then triggered the two minute countdown and right. I was just, there was... It seemed like there was no way I was going to make it. Chris was like, oh, this is a blown run. Forget it. Just reload. This is, this is stupid. <laughs> and I was like, eh, I got this hammer. And so I just ran from, I just sprinted through basically the entire length of like the, the level that we had like, you know, constructed this like perfect run of like, okay, now I carefully do this. I just sprinted through the whole thing. And every time I hit a guy, I just hit him over the head with the hammer. <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> and it worked. And we got into the consulate. And I just, there were like two guys and I was just like, doink, doink. And then like walked in and there was like the security guy who was like in front of the bank of consoles. And I just hit him on the head with a hammer. And then there was a girl who saw me and I just hit her on the head with the hammer. And Chris was like, you didn't need to hit that girl. And I was like, oh, that's fine. And so then, then I finally like delete the evidence. But so, the, you know, and then I died. But, there's but, some, <laughs> yeah, there's some other evidence in your wake. Right, yeah. But the interesting <laughs> thing about that though, that I realized uh, after the fact is that the only reason that I even bothered to do that is because... You know, like normally, uh, if you're just playing through like the mission, you don't you don't need to care about the security cameras. And, and like the only reason that I actually that I was like caused to make that insane effort is that right. th- because of that particular demand, mm-hmm. uh, which is why those missions are really good. That's um, true. So you actually basically back to back had the most atypical hit yeah. and runs imaginable. One, the sort of least cautious, mm-hmm. most just like caution to the wind. Uh, version of it, which was all surprisingly successful given the circumstances. Yeah. Given it and was then, a guy sprinting through a console and hitting people in the head with a hammer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the funniest part about it, it's this is impossible to like convey. So you should actually go watch it. It's we on our pull YouTube. that clip out too, maybe. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Just the hammer run is actually worth pulling out because the thing that was so goddamn funny about it, you can watch it on youtube.com slash idle videos, was that when you first, you were crouched for so much of the time until you actually eventually broke out into the full run. That's and so true. when you were, yeah. when you passed by the hammer, you're sort of crouching under it and you sort of reached up and snagged <laughs> it just on your way. And then the first guy you killed with a hammer also was basically <laughs> yeah. an offhand just, maneuver. It was yeah. just like, oh, whoops, guy, bonk, <laughs> continue crouching. <laughs> like it was, it, it was so funny. Yeah. And, uh, and it was and, like a cartoon. It was, yeah. it was just like watching like, you know, like a wacky, like floppy guy with a hammer just kind of, yeah. With, and then you could just imagine the sort of bonk, <laughs> like in bold face. Like, right. yeah. Yeah. So we should maybe actually pull out Batman, but, uh, Sam, Batman 66 yeah. cards basically. Yeah. 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 Um, but the, but the whole video is, um, at least as of the time of recording is the, the featured video on 
uh, youtube.com slash idle videos. And it's shorter than some of our longer streams. Um, and it's, it's, I think really, so watching, really watching a cartoon people with a hammer and then do like the most masterful, precise yeah. hitman run of all time. It was so good. It was so much fun. We had, it was, it was one of the best examples I think we've had in a stream so far of like Nick and I cooperating strategically and then chat mm-hmm. adding yeah, that's good. strategic assistance. Uh, it was a really good sort of triumvirate. So you of feel like advice. internalization truly hit 100%. It did. And we completely dropped the ball on the internalization meter, even oh, though yeah, this I was know, the most, the truest expression of internalization. Yeah. Well, yeah. the next stream will start at 100 and then immediately <laughs> fall. And then, and then just, 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 yeah, just <laughs> completely be destroyed. Well, Nick, you were planning on doing another Dark Souls stream this week, right? Yeah, I guess the day that this podcast is released, uh, that night I will be streaming. That is Thursday. Today. Yes, yes. July 30th. Um, at 7 o'clock Pacific Okay, is when cool. I will do that. We'll put that on Twitter and, and put an announcement on the Twitch channel and, yeah. and the uh, the Idle Thumbs streams thread in, in uh, the forums. Yep. Cool. Should we take a break? Yeah. yeah let's take a break. Cool. Video game. This episode of Idle Thumbs is brought to you by the Idle Thumbs Network. Hey, it's us. Yeah, it's us and other people. We have a number of podcasts on our site at idlethumbs.net slash shows, um, including Idle Weekend, which is hosted by Rob Zachney and Danielle Riendo. Their most recent episode, at least at the time this is being recorded, was their 2016 halftime show where they talked about the games and TV shows that they've enjoyed uh, the most so far just in this like first half of the year. So that was kind of a fun roundup from them. Uh, and I think they – well, I, I know that they they restrained themselves from too much discussion of The Witcher and The Americans, <laughs> their two banner uh, obsessions. Um so, uh, yeah, that was a fun one. That's at idleweekend.net. Um, there's also the Idle Book Club, which I host along with Sarah Argadale. And we are currently reading The the Sympathizer uh, by Viet Tan Nguyen. It's a really cool, uh, like, sort of darkly comic uh, Vietnam War um, sort of spy thriller thing. Mm. It's really It's really good. It's really, like written in a very wry style and uh, it's, it's really fun. I mean, fun. It's horrible. I mean, like it's, you know, it's about like a, a terrible chapter in history, but it's a thrilling read. Yeah. But it's like, a like I say, sort of a darkly comic take on it. That's, mm. that's I think really clever and nice. good. It's anyway called the sympathizer. Um, that's the idle book club, which you can find at idlebookclub.com. That next episode should be coming out soon. Designer Notes? Designer Notes, yeah. Yeah, Designer Notes is a uh, game developer interview podcast, like super long-form interviews. It's hosted by Soren Johnson of um, Offworld Trading Company and Civ Four. This month, he interviewed Lewis Castle. Um, Classic guy. Yeah, he was a co-founder of Westwood Studios, who you know made Command & Conquer and uh, the Kyrandia Adventure Games. Uh, and, and Blade Runner Adventure and, Game. And the Blade Runner yeah. Adventure Game, a bunch of stuff. Also... Um, Dune 2, which was one of the like early standard setters for real-time strategy games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. it's It's got good stuff in it. They talk about Dune 1 to Dune 2, which is a total interesting Westwood transition because Dune 1 is way more of an adventure game. And then Dune 2 is suddenly basically a proto-command and conquer. Mm-hmm. So hearing the story behind that uh, is cool. Uh, and also 
We have Terminal 7, a Netrunner podcast about the card game Netrunner hosted by Nels Anderson. I have no idea uh, anything about Netrunner, but people, <laughs> but, but people like people it. People like they that podcast. So it's cool. go listen to that also. Anyway, we've got good stuff. Idlethumbs.net slash shows. Thanks, Idlethumbs. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Nick. Video Thanks. Nick. Are we back? Why not? Hi, Chris. All right. <laughs> All right, back. Back. Welcome back. Thanks, Jake. I played Overland. Oh. The new game from Finji, which I think until we talked about this game, right? We talked about their We talked about it in the context of early access, but not about the game so much, yeah. I think until around that time, I may have mentioned this then, but I think until around then, I I don't even think I realized this game was a sort of XCOM-like tactical strategy game, mm. um, turn-based tactics game, basically, because the screenshots just look sort of like a, almost like a sort of Kentucky Route Zero S. Yeah, it looks like it might be a sort of, tri- yeah. almost a grid-based, like, semi-procedural adventure game, but it's totally, it's totally an XCOM, Yeah, right? it's completely yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, it's of that school, at least. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So, Overland is a game that is played on a combination of a world map, like a sort of a highway map that you drive along and then in a car that you acquire you basically are every time you move your car you're deciding to go between two different like tactical battles and they're rated by whether they're sort of fairly easy fairly difficult extremely challenging whatever uh and then they each have more likely rewards right so one of them might say uh like um there's someone stranded here this is a, a fairly easy encounter. The other one might say, lots of useful items here. This is fairly difficult. I don't remember all the wording they use, but that's that's the gist of it. Uh, and you you play through these until you reach, like, the end of the given highway section. And then, you know, it keeps going. Um, this is a sort of uh, Mad Max-ish, I guess, like, post-apocalyptic sort of scenario. But there's, like, weird... B- crazy bug monster things that attack you. Uh, and it is really hard. There's like two takeaways for me from playing Overland so far. Uh, one is that it's extremely difficult, even though the combat model is very simple. Like um, at least the amount that I've played so far, which I, I've not played far. It's too difficult for me to get <laughs> far enough to know if this holds up, but there's like, easy enemies that die in one hit and there's hard enemies that die in two hits so far. That's like the, you know, the breadth of the enemy design that I've currently encountered, although I, although I wouldn't be at all surprised if that, that continues ratcheting up. Um, but it's not like you're dealing with lots of different weapon loadouts. Like you just find improvised weapons on the ground, you know, rocks and sticks and pipes and stuff. And, and uh, you're not, you're not like equipping your guys with complex armor and, you know, it's very much scavenger driven mm-hmm. uh, and very, very difficult. Um, and so that there's that. There's like the interesting combination of sort of simplicity of design, but also unforgiving uh, level of difficulty. Um, and then also the other big takeaway for me, and obviously this game is in an alpha state right now. So this isn't a uh, a criticism of the game per se, but man, it is a reminder, as is the new XCOM game how much these games just are their UI. You know, mm-hmm. a sort of tactical turn-based grid game, 
even one like this, which is so stripped down relative to something like XCOM in terms of um, the number of different outfit options you have and sort of actions you can take, it's it's so much small. The, the the number of those options is so much smaller than it is XCOM, and yet it's still the entire experience is a complete um, it is entirely sub, like subservient to your ability to like intuitively grasp the UI elements and what all your clicks are doing. And it is, it is the ultimate example of the kind of thing where as a player, you're like, why doesn't, why isn't this more obvious? And then as a developer, your your entire like mm. life and job is just like trying to figure out how to make the version of this that will be intuitive and obvious and yep. flow well for everybody. And it is so, it is one of the weirdest, most like secretly difficult things in games that I, I suspect everyone who plays games, that is the thing they would think would be easier than it is because it, mm-hmm. even as a game developer, when I play this game, I'm like, why don't they just make this thing really obvious? Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, because the version of it that's obvious to everyone is like impossible to, right. to come up with. Yeah. Um, and so I, I constantly find myself misclicking because I'm misinterpreting what something looks like and I'll move mm-hmm. to a space instead of I thought I was clicking on an action on the space I already was and just things like that. And again, this game is an alpha. I'm not concerned about it for like the long run. That's exactly why they're doing this alpha strategy that they're doing. Again, the game is Overland, which they've offered several like buy-in waves of where they sell several hundred keys at a time, letting people in on a limited basis, which I think is really smart. And I'm sure they're gathering all kinds of player behavior and feedback and will improve that stuff. Oh yeah. Adam, Adam Saltzman is the guy who's yeah. uh-huh. making this. He made Cannibal. He's one of the, he's a uh, Finji games. Mm-hmm. He, I follow him on Twitter and he posted a, uh, what looked like an Excel spreadsheet of a calendar, and it was just UI, 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 okay. UI, yeah, and him just go. and it just said obviously yeah. as the only text on it, which is like, well, obviously yep. the next big rev of this is going to be taking all of this feedback. It sounds yeah. like and doing uh-huh. a huge UI uh, an overland overhaul. Yep, yeah, I uh, it's it's so difficult. I I remember playing the first new XCOM game, the first Firaxis XCOM game, which I think has quite good UI overall and obviously they have a huge amount of resources as a AAA studio and have been making UI driven strategy games for their entire existence by way of civilization and even then in that game there are things where I'm like I wish they had just streamlined this a little bit and it's like such a d- shit thing it's a sentence to... it's impossible to, as a developer yeah. they're like well the yeah. reason we didn't is because this <clears throat> insane like right. you're just like opening up a thing that then turns out to be an impossibly infinite origami right. piece. You thought yep. it was a little triangle, but yep. when you unfold it once, <laughs> it unfolds into like 30 An square elephant. feet of yeah. paper or something. Yep. And you're like, oh, I see why this is packed down the way it is. But also yeah. that doesn't mean that a developer shouldn't then repack uh, it a different also, way. I, but I, so I understand that all. But can't I just also just press this button? Exactly. Just, like, skip mm-hmm. to the thing? I mean, at a certain <laughs> point as impossible. a developer, you have to go, uh, Maybe you should have to do that, and that makes you have to reassess a huge yeah. paradigm that you've built. But like, ah, oh, yeah. But it's but it's also really difficult to know if like if, are all players going to come to that right. same. The moment you give that feedback, another guy, even in the same playtest room, be like, "Well, I wasn't a problem for me. I did a right. great job." Yeah. And then everyone mm-hmm. on the developer team goes, "Shit, that guy said it was good." Yeah. Oh, it's mm-hmm. so hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, I. I played a few of the alphas of Offworld Trading Company and then played the final version of it. And man, that is another game. You know, I mean, it's a it's a real-time strategy game that's also an economic simulator. That's another game that lives or dies by its UI. And watching the UI of that game change was f- uh, fascinating. Actually, the des- there's a Designer Notes. I think it, the Designer Notes podcast, um, there's Soren Johnson 
did one about Offworld Trading Company where he talks mm-hmm. about the development of that game. And if you're interested in how heavy UI, heavy systems-based games get pared down, he talks about the entire process of of assumptions they had and cuts they made and ways that they just like pared that game down and redid huge pieces of the UI and of the user experience to end up with what they shipped. And it's a great conversation um, to, to listen to, to hear that process. Like I thought it was, he like, uh, Soren's a guy who really, really cleanly documents his entire game design process. And he posts a lot of it to his website, but I think it sounded like because of that and just his memory as a designer, he was able to go back and, really cleanly remember what they did and why they did it and how they evolved Offworld Trading Company. Um, even if you haven't played that game, he does a great job of explaining, we had this system in and then because of these things, we changed it to this and this and uh, it, it, it's good. Um, anyway, idlethumbs.net. <laughs> <laughs> Slash shows. Do you think that Overland is incredibly difficult right now because it is in an early release alpha and they're deliberately like, it seems like... Uh, I remember when Clay put out Invisible Ink, which was their sort of espionage uh, XCOM-influenced game. It was the, the difficulty was just turned up entirely. And like the early Don't Starve alphas were like that as well because, mm. one, they wanted to test the systems at their most extreme, and two, uh, Return of the Sirens. And two, I think that it, uh, they said that it means people get just can get more time out of an early access game if you're not just like blasting through it and going, okay... I saw I saw it because mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. through some like a really easy version of you know like when Overland ships and if it has a campaign I imagine that it will not be as brutal out of the gate. Mm-hmm. D- does that seem yeah, true that to you? Yeah, seems or? likely. I also have a suspicion that with a game like this, um, there's just a natural tendency uh, to wreck people early. <laughs> yeah, well, early. Well, also because early. you're probably testing it yourself up to that point, right? Where you've just mastered the systems to the extent that you know a normal person sure. who ha- has no and idea. You know your it's way like, around the rough edges. Yeah. like the, the all of these systems are at their roughest. They're they're all rougher than they will be in the future, which means. Any player who gets stuck on any of those rough edges, like there are more rough edges to theoretically get stuck on, and it's hard to disassociate the just like intentional quote difficulty right versus from is it just like obtuse and the weird difficulty of playing yeah. the thing in the first place. Yep. Um, and sometimes those distinctions are like very blurry, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, but it's it's clearly a promising just like baseline to build on, and it looks really cool. And there's this awesome thing that that um, makes me just like. As a game developer, I'm just like, ah, this is just the most awesome touch. When you um, go to like a new section of the map, like there's, you know, there's a huge, there's the world map, which is, or like the sort of sub world map, which is the little section of highway you're on. But then there's also just like a map of the entire United States with divided into, I think, four just big vertical stripes, essentially, each of which has, has its own name. And when you go to one of those, you get this great little tiny interstitial scene of like your car driving away on the highway. And then the U.S. map is just overlaid in just white line art Mm -hmm. superimposed on top. And so and it it looks so awesome. It's so stylish and cool and just just made me want to be like, "Ah, I just want to make something that looks like this. It It looks uh, it looks really like modern graphic designing but it's also really evocative of like an old educational travel film or something mm-hmm. like that is what it like the, at least the, the imagery that I've seen of color it. palette yeah. yeah and yeah. just like the just white line art projected over mm-hmm. a moving footage of That's the United true. States is like yeah. that just mm-hmm. uh 
it would then like places where like oil is refined would then pop up on that map if you were watching it in school or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's cool. So it's the game is uh, Overland by Finji and I don't know what their schedule is for when they sell early access keys. I got mine through their just the widget on their website a couple weeks ago. Um but it's cool. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Do some reader mail? Yeah, let's do some reader, reader mail. mail. <laughs> um all right. Oh, we went we went really quickly to mention one hilarious thing, which is Doom. Doom twenty sixteen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's an update coming out, I think, this week. Uh it's coming out the day this podcast okay. is coming it's out. It's out today. The thirtieth of um, June. I don't know much about it other than what I saw tweeted, but they're including a new user setting to let you center visualize all of your weapons to just go into a hundred percent classic uh Doom Wolfenstein Quake One mode. It, but it seems like I mean, it must be some weird additive offset to the existing animations, or they reanimated them. I don't know, but it has all of the f- nice fidelity of this Doom weapon hands, and then the but the pose is just right down the middle of the camera. Yeah. It looks really good and funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, further leaning into, oh, I guess this is what Doom is now. Uh, mm-hmm. it, yeah. Anyway, really good. That was a tiny, tiny dot. But if you're looking for some reason for an excuse to open Doom again, wait till it updates on Steam in the next couple days uh, or today. And, and then uh, put your gun in the middle. And then put your gun in the middle of the screen and laugh at it for a minute. That's all. It was weird seeing that in the context of a like high fidelity modern first person shooter because it looks it looks weird. I mean, it totally oh. doesn't look weird at all when you look at it in those original games. Yeah, but it's it it's, looks so strange now because uh, you see the guy do his real his whole like yeah. real animation, uh, and then he goes and then whoop he puts and just puts it right in the middle. And it's like, how would you hold that? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you could you could unlock the original Quake One rocket launcher as a Team Fortress oh, weapon man. for the soldier in TF2, and it also center mounts. What? <laughs> so all the other guns are just our oh, our side yeah. view. Like I never you know, oh uh, yeah, if you get the Quake One rocket launcher, it goes boop and just pops into the dead center of the screen, and it looks like you're playing TFC. Like that's oh, or that's or, so or Quake World Team Fortress. It's really good. Uh, yeah, yeah. That w- also that was clearly when Team Fortress Two was deep into its into its current decadent decadent yeah. phase. Uh, but yeah, Doom went there within weeks of shipping. Apparently, yeah. correctly within months anyway. Months, yeah. whatever. Um. All right. Jake Rodkin writes Hat Baron epilogue. Oh, I, you should I preface this Hat Baron epilogue? Sure. Um, the Hat Baron. D- <clears throat> Over over like years of this podcast, uh, a reader uh, who goes by the name Captain Invictus, who Chris and I first encountered on the Something Awful forums, has been sending us emails about the Valve, like about the Steam economy, starting off with Team Fortress Two stuff, then getting into Dota, and one of the one of the characters who kept emerging in this crazy saga of the Team Fortress Hat Barons was this guy named Rob, who started off as like the most reputable Steam item salesman of all time, but then at one point decided to just say fuck it and went rogue. And Rob, if you remember from all these previous emails, like started becoming a fence for like the mob and like managing all sorts of crazy items, uh, uh, like just flipping stuff and uh, basically being a fence and money launderer for item dupers and all this other crazy shit. Then at a certain point, uh, this guy got into cryptocurrency and on his way out just took $10,000 from some item trader who he had agreed to hold for him and then was like, no one's going to come after you. And he just quit Steam and quit the Steam economy and became a Bitcoin trader. <laughs> um, but Captain Inv- and we. So if you want to re-listen to this whole yes. thing, it's on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash idle videos was compiled and posted up there by Johnny Driggs, who's yes. the person who 
annotates and posts all of our episodes to YouTube generally. Yes, and that's got the whole the whole Hat Baron saga up until this point. Um, but Captain Invictus wrote us back. Captain Invictus writes, um, all right, well, here's the epilogue to the Rob saga. Ever since Rob quit his illicit hat fencing gig and sailed off into the great unknown with 10 grand of that account hijacker's money, he has been practicing his artistic skills and was working on some skins for Counter-Strike Global Offensive. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, the, uh, C- Counter-Strike CS gun skins yeah. are like, yeah, that's yeah. the new shit. So I guess this guy mm-hmm. could not resist being pulled back in by this. Um, he managed to get a handful in and almost immediately he started seeing serious returns. From his first skin, he was pulling in tens of thousands of dollars a month in royalties. <laughs> oh and then as he got more and more skins in, the combined royalties started piling up until he became a multi-millionaire within the span of a year and what? a half. What? Oh my God. <laughs> Valve provides around 25 to 30% of total sales in royalties to the creators of an item from all store and marketplace sales. And with over half a million daily unique players, CSGO is in a prime place for artists with good gun fashion sense to get their designs in and make some serious cash. God, if that guy's made a million dollars and Valve gives 25 to 30% of that, that no. means off this guy's gun skins alone, Valve has made like well, three to six three million dollars. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they can get their designs in and make some serious cash. A lot are already doing it though, and I've seen plenty of outstanding ones that they've not even considered. So competition is rough. I invite anyone with a better understanding of the CS:GO and gun and knife economy to try and explain that mess with quote float values and fractional shades of a knife's color being the difference between an eighty dollar knife and a six hundred dollar one, among other things. Things were so much simpler. Knife. Things were so much simpler when it was all about TF2 hats and just whether they were on fire or not. <laughs> so the, the epilogue of that guy who went from being a super reputable trader to then scamming everyone out of thousands of dollars and leaving is now he's a gun skin millionaire. God, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Did you see I mean, Valve is being sued for CSGO right now by some, no, what? By some what? guy? It's just, you know, I don't know how legitimate this lawsuit is or not, but yeah, it made some headlines. A Counter-Strike player files suit against Valve over illegal gambling surrounding CSGO. And he's charging that Valve knowingly allowed and has been complicit in creating, sustaining, and facilitating a market where players and third party trade uh, third parties trade weapon skins like casino chips. So Crazy. This is, yeah. yeah, this is becoming a thing. So these are tradable after you buy them? They must be. Yeah. $2 billion? In skins, is that's the market? Yeah, the the CS. Jesus. Oh my god! The CS like gun and does CS have keys? I don't know. The, I want to know more about CS Go. I know yeah. though that like Counter Strike has always been people, the like. Uh, the, let me just. Oh, this, there's, this there's a really facts? succinct. Well, this is a really succinct like version of. Okay. So people buy skins for cash, then use the skins to place online bets on pro matches. Uh, because there's a liquid market to convert each gun or knife back into cash, laying a bet in skins is essentially the same as betting with real money. Oh my God! Jesus, <laughs> that's so <laughs> wild. Yeah. Uh, oh, all this oh. suit alleges. In sum, Valve owns the league, sells the casino chips, and receives a piece of the casino's income stream through foreign websites in order to maintain the charade that Valve is not promoting and profiting from online gambling, like a modern-day Captain Renault from Casablanca. (laughs) The majority of the people in the CSGO gambling economy are teenagers, and under 21 makes Valve's and the other defendants' actions even more unconscionable, the suit alleges. So these people bet on CS rounds. So it's like you're betting on fights? Yeah. The visual, oh, it's just full the Vegas. The visual image yeah. of people just throwing ostentatious <laughs> guns into a pile, yeah. then like someone raking them back in, and, <laughs> manu- <laughs> and then guns manufactured by this arms dealer and former yeah. like money launderer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The 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 visual imagery of Rob is so amazing to me. Of like yeah. starts as mild mannered businessman, then becomes sleazy businessman, <laughs> then busts out of town in like his convertible blaring music with cash floating away, but yeah. it's actually like TFT hats. No, it's right. And then he's now in his weird South American mansion where he starts running guns. Right. But they're like surely like weird hot pink camo guns. Oh yeah, no, they're yeah with like K's and stuff. Yeah. Some stupid cartoon on them or whatever. Yeah. It's like a, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, which then are being thrown into fight rings. Uh, right. Yep. Yeah. It's it's funny that Counter-Strike feels like it has always been the below the surface Valve game. Like Valve culturally, the Valve that like gamers love is the like, at this, it, it first was the stoic Half-Life Valve. Then it was the wacky post Chet and Eric episodic orange box TF2 portal yeah. left for dead valve. But in the meantime, basically ever since Counter-Strike showed up. Well, it's- and now it's the like, now it's the just like weird black box, like R and D. Yeah. But like they also still put yeah. the lab out, but yeah, they're right. I mean, yeah. Val- I think valve has always had a weird black box R and D element to it. And that it's true. That was like yeah. when half-life came out and it feels like that just came out of nowhere from a strange yeah. obelisk yeah. in Seattle. And they're back to that, but they're pumping out weird VR prototypes and weird economic Multiple, insanity. Yeah. Yeah. But Ever since they bought Counter Strike, it feels like that is just it's sat running along the side. under the surface. Yeah. Yeah. But mm-hmm. now, like the iceberg that is Counter Strike goes so deep compared to what it ever yeah. did before. I think, yeah. like, I think the amount of money and just activity that is happening around CS:GO is got to just be wild. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a two billion dollar market. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, just that's for the, crazy. Because like above the surface of Valve, you're like, oh, they're renting out the like Supersonics old amphitheater to have a dota event yeah. but like that is just like oh, that's one, a little one penny yeah. into the bucket yeah. of fucking counter-strike guns you know Man, or like the crazy. swimming pool of counter-strike guns like yeah. that dota event is just like one thing that just gets lost even though that's the public face of this company now it's really crazy i don't know yeah. meanwhile they're like wow we, we sold sixty thousand vibes or something and like, yeah right <laughs> and that's yeah. like the public faces vr is right. the future and all yeah, that stuff yeah, yeah. meanwhile yeah. just roiling gun-laden teens gambling <laughs> god scorsese would make the lamest movie about this <laughs> just oh my god <laughs> God, the stupid shot that would just go from, like, the above-ground, like, VR training lab that would then just, like, descend into the levels of just, like, bullshit pink guns. But and it's like, n- but Oh, my God. Yeah, it's just the thing shot. about that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, the, the contrast is actually way higher because the top is an actual audience of thousands cheering and an announcer on huge TV screens. Then yeah. it scrolls down under the earth, and it's like the guy uh, in the South Park World goes, of Warcraft episode. <laughs> right, that's just what I like, yeah, yeah. Clicking a key and then typing and sort of like slouching in a chair as just money is mm-hmm. going. It goes, it goes all the way down through all of this and then goes all the way down through the crust of the earth, through the earth's core, and then out the other side of the earth to a Chinese warehouse in which right. people are employed texturing right. texturing hundreds of gun models. That's true. Oh, I thought they were there all deflating Dota donkey balloons and pulling the code <laughs> cards off of them. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well. So, uh, I guess all's well that ends well for that guy. Is he's now a multi-million-dollar gun manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> what a crazy yeah. everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> all right. That, what a strange, strange company Valve is. Yeah. Valve just like cr- enables experiences that are so odd. There's like no comparable. The Valve metagame, though, at this point is just out of control because there's. 
uh, anyway, that's what I'm talking. It's like yeah. something that an that's AI the experience. Would come I mean, up with. I don't mean the experience of playing yeah. their video game. No, Those are yeah. like that's pretty fine. normal at this just point. It's a nice it's game. Just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is this is what a computer would decide is the best way to make money. <laughs> like, it just feels like something that's just a giant yeah, algorithm does, at this it point. Just it just does, simu- it does however simu- it I does can do it. Repeated simulations yeah. of every possible thing you could sell mm-hmm. until it comes up with the one that yeah is that more- you would never as a human predict. Yeah. I do like, want to repeat never- the last thing that Captain Invictus wrote though, which is if you are someone who's really attuned to the nuances of the Counter-Strike weapon skins mm. market, I would love for you to write in and actually explain where the attractiveness comes yeah. in and how the price breakdown works. Or if it is just like, we don't actually know. And you this is like, gold, it's like the old yeah. version of like the pre-graphic designer Google where they would literally algorithmically test 30 shades of blue on Gmail until they find mm. the one that people like. And then that's what it locks in on. Like, are we just all scatter graphing these things until we just happen to hone in on what people like. And are people running the numbers on that who aren't valve? Like do people like there's gotta be some, di- I bet just people do despicable market Anything research with a market that big. Yeah. There's no way there isn't. Yep. I want to know. And then I'll make a gun skin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so Nolan filter writes, Hello, friends. Thought you might be interested in this essay, which investigates, quote, the effect of the prospect of a Donald Trump presidency on the behavior of top level American bridge players. (laughs) (laughs) High level bridge players bid no Trump more often in 2015 than in past years. And the paper posits this is because of the negative stigma associated with a certain small fingered racist running for president. Love the show, (laughs) Nolan. I hope that's true. I hope that Trump being on people's brains uh, and specifically no Trump. Uh, Never Trump. leads to people bidding <laughs> no Trump. Crazy. Uh, I mean, it looks. Yeah, I mean, it looks. They have a paper attached, and it. And what's interesting is that, um, different. Like they're comparing um, not only data from year to year, but also different, like country to country. And the the effect is more pronounced in the United States, which you'd expect. Crazy, because that's hmm. local to us. So. And the word is the same, whereas I would imagine yeah, yeah. the word for Trump is different in other languages. Drumpf. <laughs> <laughs> ha, get it? Um, huh. Man, that's really fascinating and makes total sense. I like that a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Um, okay. So, oh, this is important. So Joe W. writes in about the supposed uh, Gamergate reference that we mentioned in a like addendum to last week's podcast in an in a that like Nintendo Mario game of some sort, I can't even remember what game it is. It was it was a conversation Sorry. about how you are Mr. Oh, Gage. was Mario Party Eight? Yes. Oh, also that. <laughs> well, that was the original conversation, but then we like dropped in a thing. Yeah, we we posited that you are Mr. Gay. Might uh, actually said Gamergate is what happened, and then we got off on a weird jag. No, I'm talking about when we actually like. You're talking about the. You're talking about our our correction. I was providing context for anything okay, at all. Sure. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. No, then but we talked about the Mario Party 8 thing. Right. So there was a there was a like pair of screenshots that people um pulled from Mario Party 8 that appeared to be a direct reference to Gamergate. Yeah, there was and, a there was a reference to five guys ish and also to a something gate within reasonably close proximity in this game and people were uh positing that those two things in combination are a reference to Gamergate and Zoe Quinn stuff. Right. So anyway, Zoe, uh, Joe W. writes in to say... Zoe so W. Yeah, yeah. It was actually two separate references to two separate things. One was the the uh, fungi fun guys from Mario Party 8. The other was a Watergate reference. 
they're spaced uh, well apart, but um, people were stirring up more outrage than necessary by put, putting them together. This is the statement Nintendo made to Eurogamer. So I'm going to read the statement now. As many have observed, when viewed in its entirety, the Nintendo Treehouse Live segment for Paper Mario Color Splash from E3 um, includes two jokes separated by commentary and gameplay that have no relation to each other. One joke has to do with Watergate, while the other is a nod to the fungi fun guys from Mario Party 8. It was brought to our attention that these jokes have been spliced together and misconstrued as a crude reference to an online hate campaign. While we do typically do not speak on localization matters, we feel the need to confirm that these jokes are not linked in the game and were not intended to be linked. Nintendo firmly rejects the harassment of individuals in any way and was surprised to learn that its gameplay was misinterpreted in this manner. Um, so then Joe, who wrote the email, finishes, just thought I'd point this out uh, since you guys mentioned it and edit to your podcast, uh, Joe. So there's that. Thanks for writing in about that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. What else do we have here? Um, Chris Givens writes, Hey, Thumbs, first time emailing, though I've been turning this issue over in my head for a while. As a follower of the game industry, it seems to me that over the last few years, gamers have become more and more restless with perceived flaws in a game. For me, this is obvious in the recent release of Overwatch, where it seems that every player is an expert-level game designer whose opinions are of the highest quality. It feels like everyone took a few rounds to enjoy Overwatch, then went straight to complaining about it. This isn't to say that player feedback isn't useful or that Overwatch is perfect. The recent nerfs which originated after angst from the player base have made the game more balanced. It just seems like there's a, a line between player feedback and everyone wanting to mold a game to their fantasy version, and that players are starting to push that line towards their fantasies. As game designers, do you have any thoughts on this? Am I just a crazy person for thinking this is what's happening? Anyway, thanks for the great podcast. I look to you alone for information about our coming robot, robot overlords. Thanks, Chris. Oh, man. Um, I, I, my suspicion is that isn't very new. It's not a new phenomenon, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, just look at all sports and uh, games for yeah, people who people who can, with sports or you can go a month ago when LeBron James complained about uh, <laughs> uh, officiating in an NBA game. And then uh, a, a Golden State Warriors player was, you know, banned from the game after that. I mean, ugh, people complain about officiating after every sports game and every sports tournament and things happen and don't happen. And uh, it's all political and weird and sh- shitty. And it's just, yeah, it's just a very natural phenomenon, I think. It seems like the thing that has changed, though, is pe- through social media and through the internet existing at all, people are able to collect those things into a large enough ball that it feels like it has a gravitational pull that it would not or could be more dismissed when the communication between a player and a developer or you know, players and an official regulating body was more abstracted, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's, that I f- that's feels like objectively true. is, is not the same as it was yeah, before. That's true. Although I think in the case of video games that has existed just about in some form or another, that's basically existed for as long as online multiplayer has existed to any significant degree. Yes. So like, it's true that in sports, there's sort of the ability to centralize those complaints. And although sports has also always been a local thing. And so one would imagine that, like lo- because sports is so local, probably local communities have had some version of that to a degree that well, local communities uh, like towns have had the ability to gather together and complain about shit uh, that they don't like and make things change uh, forever, and that is a defining shitty thing about everything in real life. Oh, or yep. sometimes a good thing, but yeah, but, sometimes <laughs> good, sometimes yeah, yeah, but. Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes this can lead to your entire country leaving a, a, a global <laughs> body. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> um, it's true. 
uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think this 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 stuff in games goes back pretty far. I I certainly remember it. I mean, this isn't even as old as you can get, but I just I remember you know Halo back in the day, which which was a console game, not even a PC game, and so therefore the player base having less access to um, or, or less less obvious and like sort of a de facto access to the kinds of communities that PC games have just by virtue of the internet being accessed on the same device being used to play the game. I don't even remember how I was aware of those complaints. I just remember being generally aware of them. Mm-hmm. That yep. stuff just like spreads through yeah, player it, communities. It, it, it seems like as long as the internet has been around, at least that yeah. communication style of people inside of games sending messages to each other from game to game to game until people form some sort of consensus coupled with community members somehow I mean, not somehow. You just figure out which forums, when it was a lot more forum-based, which ones the developers read and post on, and that's where everything funnels into once you find, like, oh, the guy who made my game reads this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that also happens in TV in the era of the internet. Like, there was a long that's period true. of time um, where I, I, I don't really follow any of – I never followed this stuff much, but I had friends who followed it more. There was a website – it probably still exists – called Television Without Pity, and a lot of genre TV writers – read and frequented that forum and then that forum ended up getting accused uh, of like from the fan backlash of like that forum's agenda ended up clearly actually hitting the writers yeah. of some mm-hmm. genre TV shows and like desired fanships got that from that community got like people got mad at them for like ruining their TV show or whatever mm-hmm. like, but it's that, that Crazy, same idea yeah. of like find out you know that that collective voice uh, among different yeah. communities then so- seems to get funneled into wherever you think or know for sure that the that the creator is actually listening. With Twitter, that makes that all way easier because there's a good chance that person is just mm-hmm. on Twitter and you can yeah. blast them a message. But um, it's it's I don't know. I mean, I remember that the worst of that that I can ever remember was maybe still is. I don't know. I don't, I don't really pay attention to this stuff very much at this point. But Call of Duty has been just one of the most just toxic just horrible, abusive communities in terms of people giving developers shit about stuff like that. Hmm. I mean, like, just constant It's because the forces behind Call of Duty must feel like it's just an anonymous wall of game developers. But then if you find any one of them, you won't know what they do or what they're actually responsible for because that's such a, like, crazy stratified development structure, but you can still yell at them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. So, yeah. Unfortunately, Chris, this probably isn't new or going anywhere no. anytime soon. But also, I mean, most of it's probably fairly benign. It's only yeah. really a problem when it gets... Like- I, I bet that one other just... You're right that the core of it hasn't changed, but I bet that one other sort of exacerbating or mutating factor is that we now are in a time where digital distribution is ubiquitous and there are a bazillion games available to you at any given time. So you have a taste of a lot of things that a lot of different games are doing. Like... That's true. And you can bargain hunt. Like, there are people's games mm. libraries are just larger now than they were 20 years ago, unless you were an outrageous collector. So I think you can sample a lot of things and find things to your taste. But then in the multiplayer space, everyone is only playing a certain subset of games. So you're going to say, I want the thing. Mm-hmm. I want everyone. I want the community of this huge game to be doing the things that I like in these 15 other small games that I picked up for $3 in a Steam sale. Like, I, I don't, yeah, I'm not saying that's right. a huge contributor, but I think... People That's know that people know that they can yeah. have these other play experiences, and it's not just these are the three multiplayer games that everyone's going to play for three years, mm-hmm. um, which like Halo or Quake or whatever. You know, like you 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 are aware of the of availability of choice and have a higher 
chance of being able to be dissatisfied by the one that hits is not the one that you want. Right. I don't know if that's true or not, but and Makes you can't you can't correct by playing on a mod server in Overwatch. <laughs> <laughs> that's also true. Yeah. Um, all right. So Sean McLean writes, "Hi, thumbs. I'm sure I." am and will not be the only one to bring to your attention. A reporter for the Washington Post wrote an article about the first robot to break the first law of robotics. The first robot being a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. There's got to be a lot of robots who have injured human beings. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. I think continues. Th- 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 so that rule implies that a robot can identify a human and then can check against that rule and can know what inflicting harm is. Like the assembly line robot that killed someone. Okay. All right. Know, whatever. Fair, fair point. Okay. So that that makes this that makes more sense. So the, the well, it's assuming the, this robot has those powers. Well, let's see. So the email continues. This robot is programmed in such a way that the designer doesn't even know the probability of it causing harm, only that there are algorithms in place where it is simply a choice. The user places a finger on a designated area. And at that time, the robot decides whether to use its tiny but intimidating arm to launch its said finger and pierce the skin with a needle. While I still wouldn't trust it in front of anyone named John Connor, it doesn't seem to do any major harm short of some hepatitis if the maker gets lazy with his needle replacement. Still, I'm going to go put on the tinfoil hat and see if I can rig up some sort of magnet gun before we start seeing these things self-replicate. Keep casting them pods, I'll need it in the bunker, Sean. So uh, he links to a Washington Post article headlined this robot chose to injure the man who built it here's why its inventor is pleased and then there's a video with a thumbnail of a guy's finger with a bleeding old pinprick in it okay put into this robot harness thing uh so this yeah you put your finger in front of this robot and it just decides whether or not it's going to jab you and then it does or doesn't do it okay i'm gonna give this like a three out of ten on the (laughs) actual terminator like uh skynet scale of it started when human beings willingly stood in front of russian roulette robots (laughs) well what you just said is why i think it's higher than a three out of ten because this this doesn't really say very much about robots what this says is about humans that we'll just make robots that hurt you sometimes Mm. just because we want to sure no no gain yeah. for no like there's no function this robot is like achieving that it oh it may inadvertently hurt a human but the benefit is like you could you could weigh it nope this robot only exists to hurt people or not but also to hurt them and I, someone just made it and he's pleased about it sure so all right i would say that is like at least a seven. Oh, okay possibly an eight all right because it re- just just for what it reveals about the human brain and yeah, what robots it right. will build. I mean, robots only <laughs> exist because we make them exist. Like they don't like may- maybe and ev- fate. Maybe eventually that won't be true. Maybe eventually they'll make no themselves. Fate but you but make, that Jake. all goes <laughs> like these are all decisions we're making. Like people are doing this shit. Yeah. They don't have to be doing it, but That's they true. are. That's true. Yeah, we do want wacky robots that pierce our flesh. <laughs> um, we made them, therefore we want them. Someone wanted them. That's the thing. Only one person has to make the decision. We don't all have to vote on it, you know? <laughs> Only one person has to make the decision to then affix those two quadcopters and send them into everyone's homes. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. 
What if what there's if a no robot refer, there's no referendum on the robot apocalypse? What if a robot knocked on your window and then said, "Would you like me to pierce your flesh?" Yes, no, <laughs> yeah, or, or try no, me is the third part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the 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 your your answer is a non-binding referendum vote. It is not it is mm. not a legal contract. What if a robot knocked on your window and then said, "I'll give you three dollars or poke your skin with a needle"? <laughs> a lot of people would probably take that bet. If the robot's like, I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Oh, I yeah, see. Yeah, there's, yeah. A chance, there's a chance well, I'm not five, five dollars. There's a chance yeah. I hand you a five dollar bill, or that I jab your hand. You right. have to put your hand in this or lock, or I just leave. And or I leave. No, right. that's not a, that's not the choice. But the chance for no, no, the chance is either to take that choice or the robot. Like oh, to, oh yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, yes. yeah. Step right. one: Do I stay or do I go? But if would I, you? If I stay, yeah. Yeah. you and it, you tell me that you want to stay by putting your hand in this locking device that I will either place a five dollar <laughs> bill in or extract some of your blood. Right. right. But what you don't know is that the chance that it will extract your blood is like ninety nine repeating decimal. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, no. He what, never specified what, okay, what the actual no, chance was. This is no, no. This is the more devious one. The more devious is that it starts weighted in favor of giving you a five dollar bill, but every time you do it again, the chance becomes higher that, that your picks, blood will be extracted. Yeah. That you'll be stabbed. But, but that happens over time, so you don't. It's really difficult for you to tell because maybe you just get an unlucky string of pinpricks. Um, so the dangerous part is when it, you basically become the the hamster in the wheel, demanding that your blood get. I mean, gets sucked <laughs> again and again and again, just like a hamster does. You know. What you're describing Classic right now is just wheel. like a, a YouTube video that would have like 50 million views. Yeah. Everyone would be like, oh, this is so entertaining. And then it would knock on their door. <laughs> that's that's when it's no longer amusing. Yep. I mean, it's never actually amusing. Well, like, it's this basically video a for Black a chance of the robot episode. visits your house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could earn $5. <laughs> or, or, or fame when your YouTube video goes up. Mm-hmm. Either either way, we will be uploading this to YouTube. Yeah, right. Yeah, from the robots. Yeah, the like robot head-mounted just, camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That robot just has a camera. All right, Sean Steffi writes, "Hey, thumbs. I'm catching up on the Planet Coaster discussion from episode 263, and I wanted to share a bit of history. Back in the prime of Roller Coaster Tycoon 3, I was part of a fairly large community around the game. Demand for highly customized personal parks and real-world park recreations was high, so the limited in-game assets were a stumbling block." Frontier had not designed the game around user-created assets, so custom scenery did not take off until a few prominent community members documented the process and created custom importer and exporter. I was only 12 at the time, so this provided me with my first introduction into programming and asset modeling. As a result, preteen me spent most evenings wading through the Blender submenus and trying to figure out geometry optimizations. Uh, RCT3 is the most I've ever been involved in a video game community and is what caused my initial trajectory into a programming career. So seeing Planet Coaster being taken to that next level of creative granularity for a new generation is beyond exciting. Are there any interestingly obscure and specific game communities you have all been involved with? And if so, did you have a favorite? Thanks, Sean. P.S. Most of the main sites I was part of are now gone, but amazingly enough, I just found one hub that's still here and converted to all discussion, to discussion of all theme park sims. Shyguysworld.com <laughs> Nice. That's that's amazing. Yep. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Yep. Do you guys have any obscure commu- game community experiences? Now, all the ones that I were in were relatively big, like yeah. LucasArts Graphic Adventures and Quake 3 mods. Like, that's mm-hmm. n- nothing. I, was, I never got into poking at tiny games. I mean, I used to really, like, I was a Mac user growing up and because uh, my family had one, and... The way that I learned that you could modify games at all was through ResEdit, which was the mm-hmm. Mac resource editing program um, where you could just crack open a ton of shareware games and all of their sprites were all just in the Mac system format. And you could 
in like Claris Works or any paint <laughs> program basically paste that asset in, including its alpha channel, then paste it back into the game. And you could modify so many Mac games through that. But like there was never a community around that that I knew of. That was just like, right. I'm a kid who could ruins all of my games. <laughs> um, but I, I wished that I'd gotten into that stuff. I know, Chris, you were Mario Calculator was your was your oh, jam. Oh, yeah, I forgot about We've that. We've talked about that yeah, a lot of times. Yeah, but that was, Mario that was, making Mario levels. Right yeah, yeah. Graphing calculators, Mario. The, the one that was possibly even a smaller community than that for me that I have also talked about on this podcast was Chapter Honor, which was a Warhammer 40K mod for Quake 1. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would be willing to bet that the total player base for that game was maybe a couple hundred people. Like, mm-hmm. total. Full, entire community. Um, and really, a matter of a few dozen people who were regular community mainstays, who at the time I could have probably almost listed by name from memory. Mm. Um, That was such a small, tight-knit community. It was really really fun to be part of because it didn't feel small. I mean, it didn't feel big either. It just felt like the thing that I play. Right, yeah. Um, I didn't really contribute much to it. I think I contributed a couple sounds that it was, but I, I I wasn't really like the road to your current profession. <laughs> nope. Um, but uh, yeah, I wasn't really. I, I, Hopefully, I, those were the two sounds. They were. Nope. It was. It was when you fart. And it a guy was when the nope. Space Marine Terminator farts. <laughs> that would fully belong in any Quake mod era game, no matter yeah. how serious it. This one was very self serious. Game. Yeah. It, it, that would be much more modern Warhammer era, probably. Which. Yeah. yeah. Warhammer's Blizzard gone, Warhammer. War, Warhammer's gone through weird like. Um, sort of a weird parabola of of seriousness. It started out much goofier, got much more self-serious and sort of got goofy again. I don't actually know where it stands anymore, really, but yeah. yeah. Anyway. Nick? Oh, man, I don't even I don't even know. I'm sitting here racking my brain trying to think of a smaller game, but I sadly, when I was a kid, I played just massive games that had, a, you know, huge mod communities like StarCraft or even like WarCraft 2, that era of, you know, Kind of fucking, was there a, fucking around and like making wacky some of those things, some but, of those I mean <clears throat> Quake was a huge game right I'm just talking about a Quake yeah, mod, yeah, yeah so yeah. like was were I mean, there I, any mods you played that were unusually obscure I, I mean probably and this is a version of modding but probably like certain Starcraft maps right like where you know they just had wacky rule sets and triggers and things where they would just make up whole games which is you know kind of like what Dota yeah, was born out of sure. but I can remember just like absolutely stupid things that I would play like as a kid thinking like the Starship Troopers map on StarCraft is really cool which if probably if I sit here and think about it that probably probably a a fairly complicated thing that that somebody had compiled and and created because I remember like you know even before uh, Warcraft 3 which is the first game that sort of introduced like hero characters that stuff was already in StarCraft Mm -hmm. and people were just already making mods that were these like really complicated things and again like stuff like Dota was born out of it but yeah, probably probably those sorts of things are probably uh, smaller Half Life mods. Half Life was kind of the oh, first, yeah. the first game where I felt like I didn't really I caught the like tail end of Quake stuff, but like uh-huh. half like the early Half Life um, mod scene mm-hmm. was was sort of the apex of me like yeah. digging into stuff like that. I weirdly didn't play a lot of Half Life mods. I played a lot of Half Life One multiplayer, mm. which nobody played because the mods instantly overtook everything, yeah. like uh, Counter Strike and stuff. Which I could never, it was always too hard for me. So oh, I just played okay, a stupid yeah. Half-Life 1 multiplayer, which was a totally pointless thing, like, but it was fun, I I guess. can remember playing, like, the f- second, out, like, f- the second, like, super early uh, Counter-Strike beta. Like, probably, 
I mean, probably, I think it was the Alpha. Oh yeah, at that CS point. beta. The early CS betas were weird. Yeah, there was, there was a time in there where there were drivable vehicles. That yeah. was the last one that I played. Yeah, that yeah. Was weird still stuff. Had tanks in yeah, it. and that was probably not a large community at the time. Yeah, I can no. remember that being really small and feeling like this is that a game was weird... a hot mess. But it had the basics of what CS are though, right? Yeah, like it had, yeah. Even the maps, right. even the, a lot of the maps are still yeah. you know the same. But yeah, that era was kind of the era where I was digging into things. Actively. I mostly ignored yeah. Half Life One because I was still playing Quake games almost mm-hmm. exclusively. But my younger brother and his friends were all about early, early like they played uh, TF Classic and Counter Strike. TF Classic was a Valve produced mod though, right? Because they'd already yes. hired Robin Walker at that point. Yeah, yeah, that was a, an official yeah. deal. But yeah, yeah, which was probably also meant to be a showcase of what you can do with the mod tools. I imagine. Hmm. Yep. All right. Uh, Van Cohen, so probably our last email, writes, One morning, morning I arrived home from overnight work and my garage door did not open. This was a little odd, uh, but I went through the door and flipped on the light switch only to discover my power was out. The faint smell of burning plastic emanated from my couch. I pulled the couch away from the wall to reveal a metal wire cat toy had been wedged between the wall outlet and the male end of a laptop power cord, causing a short at the socket. My house's GFCI circuits triggered, cutting off the power, preventing disaster. The outlet was blackened, and the cat's, cat toy's cloth bits were singed. My Roomba had run out of power in my kitchen. It was unable to escape to its charging dock because the dock had lost power. I reprimanded the Roomba and told it to think twice before trying to overthrow its human overlords. In other words, my Roomba once tried to burn my house down and murder my wife. Love the pods, Van and Austin. Whoa. Man, the Roomba pushing a thing into an electrical outlet to then burn the house down is crazy. Yeah. Good. Got some misbehaving Roombas. Because we had one last week too, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all about all about those misbehaving Roombas. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it, I guess. If you want to yeah. write to us about a robot mishap in your life or the nuances of the Counter-Strike gun economy, please write <laughs> us at questions at idlethumbs.net. You can send other stuff, too, but mostly those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you want. Don't listen to Jake. Chris just woke up. I don't know. Whatever Jake was saying. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to Idle Thumbs. You can uh, find us on the internet at idlethumbspodcast.com and all the rest of our shows are at idlethumbs.net slash shows. We're on Twitter at Idle Thumbs. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Idle Thumbs. Um, we're on Twitch now at twitch.tv slash Idle Thumbs. And we didn't mention this, but we got enough subscribers to unlock two more chat emotes on our Twitch channel. So we now have uh, Nick, me, and Jake, and Spaff. Queued up all... next are Danielle Riendo and Sean Vanneman. Yes, yes. And even more to come after that. Yes. Um, so... Uh, they're they're really good. They're hilarious. They're by John Christensen, John Christensen probably. He'll tell us who's a longtime forum member and a talented artist. Um, and if you want to subscribe to our Twitch channel, you can do that. Just if you feel like it, that lets you uh, use those chat emotes, and it gives you a little badge indicating you're a subscriber in the chat channel. Um, and as we get more subscribers, we're able to unlock more of those chat emotes for you to use. Um, Nick, you said you're going to be streaming Dark Souls today, um, today, June 30th. If you listen to this in time at 7 p.m. Pacific, we'll put notes up on that on the Internet. And um, we may do another stream this weekend. I don't know. We haven't really thought about it yet. Hopefully. Um, Hopefully someone does. Wizard Jam coming eventually. Part two when the studio is in slightly better shape. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
that? Uh, What's that? Uh, uh, something bad happened. 